0: Thank you, worship team. That was amazing. Thank you so much for setting that up today and for the wonderful singing. Uh, Welcome, welcome to all our our visitors. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Can I ask the question what event are we celebrating today? Yes, we know there's two birthdays. (laughs) We do know that uh, Trad, where's Trad? Happy birthday. And Hatham, right? Happy birthday, guys. Well done. So besides that, what event are we celebrating today? Resurrection. Resurrection? No, 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 no. Not the resurrection. Uh, Pentecost. Thank you. It's the day of Pentecost, right? So remember we celebrated the ascension the other day where we had the baptism. So 40 days after the resurrection. uh, And now today we're celebrating 50 days after the resurrection, the day of Pentecost. So having that in mind, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer so that we can prepare our hearts for the word today. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this blessed day that you have given us. All glory and honor belong to you. May we rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we want to thank you that your Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, Lord, that it kick-started the mission of the church, Lord. So, Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to help us today, Lord, to guide us through your word, Lord, and of course for the decisions that we need to make in the members' meeting, Lord. We want to thank you for your help, Lord, and we pray that you may help uh, my words, Lord, and my lips, Father God. And I ask that uh, you be with us as we do this. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in uh, in your sight, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we are concluding the sermon series of Habakkuk today, which is Trusting God in Troubled Times. So in this final chapter, we observe this ongoing dialogue between uh, our uh, God or between God and, of course, His prophet Habakkuk. Now, one of the roles of the prophet was to um, be an intermediary between uh, the God of Israel and, of course, his people as well. He was to show the people when they strayed from the covenant in which they voluntarily entered into, and he would urge them to return to it. However, what we have learned from Habakkuk so far is that he takes it upon himself to work in the opposite direction, calling God to account for his actions, for they did not seem consistent from the covenant that he demanded for himself. So the situation of the prophet was normally uncertain, especially when he confronted his own people. But it is very rare to see an individual put himself on the line by confronting God. So we know that we have learned from the first chapter that Habakkuk presented his first complaint, right? He said he perceived that God was unconcerned with Judah's sin, which we observed in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, for he questioned God's wisdom, and he was expressing bewilderment at the seemingly inactivity in the face of such blatant violation of God's law. But then we know that God replied to him and said that he was going to be sending the feared and dreaded judgment. And of course, the first chapter ends with Habakkuk's second complaint, where he couldn't understand why the Lord would send such a wicked nation, uh, the Babylonians, to judge the nation of Judah, who were more righteous of them. And there we observe that in chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. And then in the second chapter, God spoke wholly to Habakkuk through prophecy, through the spirit of prophecy. He announced that he would judge the Babylonians for their wickedness. And he instructed Habakkuk to write these things down as a reminder that this would surely happen. And he described the character of the wicked nation in comparison to the righteous people. So God also pronounced the five woes that describe the Babylonian demise as well. And now in this final chapter of the book of Habakkuk, we see that the prophet speaks wholly to God by the spirit of prayer. Where prophets we know were also praying men, right? They were and this prophet, Habakkuk, was obviously no different. For the prophets were intimately acquainted with the mind of God concerning future events, and they knew better than others and ordered their prayers. They knew what to pray for and how to pray, for they had the foresight of distressing times. They were able to pray prayers that might be received with a gracious answer, thereby serving the church by their prayers when their prophesying was over. And as we learned last week by Pastor Gareth, this chapter 3 marks a transition in tone. For the argument of the previous chapters, where he cried out for divine intervention, is now transformed into a plea for God's mercy. For Habakkuk evaluates God's power, and he breaks out into this chorus of praise for God's grace and sufficiency. For he ended the prophecy with renewed commitment and an affirmation of faith. He expressed his confidence in the Lord, his God. So Habakkuk's prayer in this chapter is essentially an imitation of David's psalms, for it is directed to the chief musician, and is set to musical instruments. Essentially, it is a hymn of faith. And the purpose of this prayer is to be used as a record for the use of the church, and particularly for the Jews when they were held in captivity, while they were waiting for their deliverance that was promised by the vision of the previous chapters. So Habakkuk found that God was ready to answer his requests, and complaints before and therefore now repeats his applications to him and because God has inclined his ear to us we must therefore call upon him as long as we live so why don't we read the scripture passage today habakkuk 3 chapter 16 to 19 so if you wouldn't mind standing for the reverence of God's word so habakkuk 3 16 to 19, I'll be reading from the NASB version today. I heard and my inner parts trembled, at the sound my lips quivered, decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will attack us. Even if the fig tree does not blossom, and there is no fruit on the vines, if the yield of the olive fails, and the fields produce no food, even if the flock disappears from the fold, and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like deer's feet and has me walk on my high places. Thank you. You may be seated. There was a story of Benjamin Franklin, who was not a Christian, but he had a great respect for the Bible. And he he used this particular passage, Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, to an astonish a group of sophisticated, cultured despisers of the Bible. And And it goes that when he was in Paris, he heard this group mocking the Bible, and of course mocking him for admiration of it. So one evening as he came among them, he said that he had this manuscript containing an ancient poem, and he wanted to read it to them. And of course they were very impressed by the poem when he read Habakkuk, verses 17 to 19, and his listeners received it with much praise and admiration. They said, what a magnificent poem. Where can we find this? So Franklin said, just go look at Habakkuk chapter three. So why was this ancient poem so powerful to them? Well, because like we have seen so far, Habakkuk's life is much like what we experience today. And it is a moving piece of scripture that shows us where we can find our strength for when we are um, in the midst of uncertainty. So, with these few lines, we observe that the prophet, in the highest degree, both trembling and triumphing, and this reflects both the state and the spirit of God's people in the world. But we look forward to the day in heaven when we shall be, where there shall be no more trembling, but everlasting triumphs. So the title of my message to you today is From Trembling to Triumph. And the statement that I have is, Even though anxiety and fear consumes me, I will wait patiently and rejoice in the Lord, who is my strength and portion forever. So let's look at my first point. My first point is we see the prophet's response, which is verse 16. He says, I heard, and my inner parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will attack us. So notice the language that Habakkuk uses here. He speaks in the first term. He uses the first term terms like I and my. He says, in my place, I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. And he also opens the text with, I heard. For Habakkuk acknowledges that he has heard what God has said, about the devastation the Babylonians will bring in chapters 1 and 2. And he feels this horror in every part of his body. For look, he says, My heart, my lips, my bones and legs are internally shaken. And the New King's James Version puts it like this, that rottenness entered my bones. The NIV translation tells us that his heart pounded. And the pounding of the heart in Hebrew is also associated with this involuntary trembling of a stomach ache, like a cry of grief. The decay in his bones indicating a general weakness, and the trembling in his legs that he was faltering and stumbling. For Habakkuk's very thought of the Babylonians' invasion of his people left him physically exhausted and overwhelmed. He was essentially near collapse. Now this appears to be an appropriate response, right, for a person waiting a day of disaster, waiting for the Babylonians to attack and bring the judgment and the punishment that God promised that he would. But of course the Israelites we know would have been very familiar with the devastation and the invasion, how terrifying that could be, For we are aware, according to history, in 722 BC, the Syrians conquered the ten northern tribes of Israel and they scattered them across the world, just as God had promised. And this was because of their unfaithfulness and their idol worship. And we know that Judah was left insecure, as Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and Media were all vying for power at the time. And as we know well, God... True to his promises, in 586 BC, the Babylonians, ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, ransacked and destroyed Jerusalem. Because Judah persisted and they remained unfaithful to the Lord. So I'm sure you can identify what happens when you feel weak or when you feel anxious and troubled, right? Our bodies react. For when you feel anxious, you may have some racing thoughts. Or perhaps some physical symptoms like difficulty in breathing. You experience tense muscles, trembling, perhaps a rapid heartbeat and a pain and this bloating in your stomach. And I'll confess, last week after listening to Pastor Gary's sermon, I experienced those symptoms because I was wondering what on earth was I going to add to this message today, right? But maybe today you are in a similar position. Perhaps you are feeling exhausted, you're feeling tired, and you are feeling overwhelmed. Perhaps you are facing an uphill battle because you have received some bad news from the doctor, where the prognosis is not good and the future is looking rather bleak. Or you're facing a future of financial insecurity because you have lost your job. You don't know how you're going to provide for your family. Or maybe you have been praying for a loved one to be saved and it appears that God is deaf, that He either doesn't hear your prayers or that your prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceilings. Or perhaps your concern is a bit wider, and when you consider the state of the world, maybe you are wondering the same as Habakkuk. Why do the wicked flourish while the innocent appear to suffer? Why is there so much violence and war in the world today? Why is there such a decline in moral behaviors and beliefs? Where are you, God? Why are you not helping us? And if Habakkuk were alive today, I'm sure he'd be asking the same questions as he did back then. And even if we consider the state of our own backyard, for we don't live in two dissimilar times of that of Habakkuk. For if we read the Ligonier State of Theology survey in 2022, then you would be alarmed at the state of the affairs that we are currently living in. And let me tell you, the results were not good at all. The survey was conducted in the US and they asked the question, Does God change? And the results reveal that approximately half, 50% of evangelicals believe that God learns to adapt to various situations. So they believe that God does change. This denies the complete knowledge of future events, and it denies God's omnipotence. It asserts that He undergoes change within the evangelical church. With regard to the question, are we born innocent? 65% of evangelicals believe everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. 65%. Now we know that the scriptures tell us when God created the world, everything he made was good. And we see that in Genesis. Yet, through Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, human kind became corrupted, right? The Bible teaches the concept of original sin. Which means that since the fall, every human being in, inherits a sin nature at the time of their conception. And this is in Psalms chapter 51 and in Romans chapter 5. And in other words, we are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners. And another question that was posed is you'll like this one does church membership matter? only 68 percent of evangelicals view church membership as obligatory. Increasing secularization in the US has led more and more Americans to identify as non-religious. So in addition, this cultural value of individualism makes it unsurprising that most Americans deem church membership as optional for Christians. It it represents a very individualistic worldview within the church, as well as the challenges that are posed post the COVID-19 pandemic and ever-increasing various church services that are held online or via the Internet. So now there were many, many more questions that were posed in this survey, but it is clear that U.S. adults are increasingly increasingly holding unbiblical worldviews in the evangelical sphere, doctrines, including the deity and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, as well as the inspiration and authority of the Bible, are being rejected. We appear to be in such spiritual decline. So how do we respond to this? Well, let's see what we can learn from Habakkuk's response in chapter 3. For we know that his response does not or his response does not stop at fear. For he has a very close relationship with God. For he knows he can question Him. And he knows he can put his faith in Him, trusting God to act responsibly. He knows he can rely on the character of God. He can wait for Him to act, moving against those who will be invading Israel. Because he says, He says in verse 16, "...because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will attack us." And the NIV translation says, "...yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us." He knows that Israel's devastation will be great as long as the God warrior does not intervene. But the prophet will wait patiently... He will wait patiently for the destruction of the Babylonians, for he knows that judgment will also come on the enemies. So, in the meantime, he will believe. No matter what the external evidence is, he believes that Yahweh has spoken. For he says he heard in chapter 3, verse 2 and in verse 16. He trembled in verse 16. And no, and we will soon learn that he will rejoice in chapter 3, verses 18. And if we read the beginning of 16, in the context of the verses that we read last week, uh, in chapter 3, 8 to 15, we know that God reminds him, when he delivered the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptian. then Habakkuk's trembling actually showed the proper response of a man under the sovereign power of God. He recognized his weakness and his low standing before the God of majesty and of power. So Habakkuk believes and trusts in the power of God. He believes that Yahweh will establish justice on earth. He trusts his word and he will wait patiently because God will guarantee victory. He does not trust in his own perspective but in the authority of God which enables him to wait in faith, even when the wicked rule the earth. So we too need to wait in faith. Now we don't know all the answers of future events, and only God knows. For David reminds us in his Psalms, in Psalm 40 verse 1, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And the writer of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 8, verse 34, Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. So we must trust and obey, have faith that God is sovereign, that he has a purpose and a plan. For it is in troubled times when our faith is tested and strengthened so we must wait patiently for the Lord. But how do we do this? Well, like Habakkuk, we need to cling to God's promises. For God told Habakkuk that he was going to judge the Babylonians, that they too would be destroyed and that his people will be delivered. So we need to wait and we need to trust in God and his promises. So let's look at my second point. We see The prophet's joy in verses 17 to 18. So Habakkuk says Even if the fig tree does not blossom, and there is no fruit on the vines, if the yield of the olive fails, and the fields produce no food, even if the flock disappears from the fold, and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph in the Lord, I will rejoice. In the God of my salvation. So you see, Habakkuk anticipates the ruin of all creature comforts and the enjoyments of life. And famine is one of the ordinary effects of war. So when the Babylonian army comes, the Israelites will be plundered, they will be stripped of all that they have. And look, he anticipates the fruit tree to be withered, to become barren. And he says there will be no fruit on the vine. And he describes the fig tree which used to furnish them with such food for we read of the cakes of the figs and the fig tree shall not as much blossom. He anticipates the olive to fail. For the olive was one of the most important symbols of ancient settlement and agriculture in the land of Israel as its fruit produced oil. And oil was important in ancient Israel, for not only was it used for the burning of the light in the temple or in private homes, but it was also used for cooking, for medicinal purposes, for cosmetics, and of course a standard of payment as well. Habakkuk also anticipates the bread corn to fail. And of course, if the production of this ceases, surely everyone would be impacted by this. Essentially, the economy would collapse. He anticipates that the the cattle will perish and that they will have no food to eat. The cattle may perish because of the disease or they may have been destroyed or carried away by the enemy. Thus the flock is cut off from the field and there is no herd in the stall. Now this is a vivid description of the results of the scorched earth policy that was adopted By the Babylonian invaders for remember this is an ancient agrarian economy so what Habakkuk is describing here is essentially utter destruction and desolation no figs no fruit no olives or olive oil no food no animals to shepherd the end result of such destruction would be starvation and death to multiples tens and thousands of Israelites and everything of value that could be transported would be taken and destroyed by the Babylonians. And they would take everything. Make no mistake, the scenario would result in poverty and utter ruin and collapse of Judah. And this was surely a great agony or a source of great agony for the prophet Habakkuk. But again, notice Habakkuk's response. In the midst of this almost complete loss, Habakkuk could still rejoice in the Lord. He says, yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. With such desolate circumstances just described, Habakkuk could find no joy in the fig tree or the vines or the fields of the flock. Habakkuk realized that their existence and their survival was not based on the crop's and the cattle of the land, but on Yahweh himself. He could still rejoice in the Lord because the Lord was unchanging. He knew that this God of majesty and power was not diminished because man might face difficult trials. And sometimes we may think, if God is so great and powerful, why am I struggling? Why am I going through a difficult time, such a hard time? And Habakkuk knew that this was the wrong question and the wrong attitude to have. Instead, he said, I know, God, you are strong and mighty. And if we are in desolate circumstances, it is because we deserve this. But I will praise you still, and I will rejoice in your name. How incredible is that? I mean, it's easy to rejoice when things are going well, right? It's easy when times are good. But even though they were facing such destruction and devastation, Habakkuk's response was to rejoice in the Lord. His quiet patience, waiting on the Lord, was now producing fruit. For we cannot experience or have joy when we are impatient or anxious, right? Habakkuk went on to declare his joyful trust in the Lord, no matter what would happen. And this essentially reinforced what he said back in chapter 2, verses 4. For we see that he says, The righteous person will live by faithfulness. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now this is a core message throughout the book of Habakkuk. That in contrast with the enemies of God, the righteous person will be preserved through their faithfulness to God. For the righteous person, trusts in God, and the conclusion of this magnificent prayer psalm reminds us of the words of Job, where Job said, "Though he slay me, yet will I trust him." Job 13, verses 15. And Habakkuk's words also are worthy to stand alongside Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17. When they responded to Nebuchadnezzar, they said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods, nor worship the golden statue that you have set up. What courage! in such adversity and this could only be surpassed by the words of jesus in gethsemane nevertheless not your will but thine be done but how could habakkuk rejoice in such circumstances well we know that the answer is not found in focusing on the circumstances that we may find ourselves in but rather focusing on god himself He is able to rejoice in the Lord because it is not tied to his unchanging circumstances but to his uh, unchanging God. For Nehemiah also wrote, he said, For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your refuge. So in other words, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it will help us get through these difficult times for we know that the secret of contentment for Paul when we spoke about in the Philippians right he wrote his letter to the Philippians for he rejoiced in the lord because he was content in each and every situation he attached his joy to christ not to his circumstances he attached to his joy not to the change in circumstances right He attached his joy to the never-changing God. And whatever circumstances he found himself in, he still had joy. But how do we do this? How do we find joy? Well, Habakkuk says that joy is in the God of salvation. In the God of salvation. We need to remind ourselves of this on a daily basis. Of the God who we serve. And the God is the God of our salvation. He saved us. He died for us. And we need to preach the gospel to ourselves regularly and daily. We need to remind ourselves of this truth. For remember, we have an advantage over Habakkuk. For we know that God's plan of redemption unfolded. But Habakkuk didn't, right? For Habakkuk said in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Lord, I have heard... The report about you and I was afraid. Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In anger, remember mercy. In anger, remember mercy. Now, where was this fulfilled? Well, at the cross of Calvary, right? God poured his wrath and his anger on the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. On his innocent Son, Jesus Christ. But through his wrath, he also remembered his mercy because he saved his people. Through his death on the cross, Jesus purchased our salvation. It cost him dearly. In his anger, God remembered mercy. For we deserve God's wrath and punishment. And if we don't remind ourselves of this truth daily, that we are so that um, we are saved, that we ought to rejoice. We need to remind ourselves. How can we not have joy if we don't remind ourselves of this daily? So remember to rejoice in the Lord, for it will help you to get through difficult times, through difficult circumstances, especially such times of trials and tribulations. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel daily. So we see, firstly, that Habakkuk waited patiently for the Lord. And because he waited patiently, he was able to rejoice. And now we see, in my third point, we see his confidence in verses 19. The prophet's confidence. For the prophet has confidence because he relies on the strength of God. He says, The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like deer's feet, and he has me walk on my high places. So Habakkuk could only properly declare this after he prayed the prayer of faith in the previous verses. He rightly declared that his strength was not in the fig tree or the vines or in the fields or the flocks, but only in the Lord. We demonstrate that the Lord God is our strength when we praise him. And notice that the text says, Lord God. Now, in some of the translations, this may differ somewhat, but in the NASB, Lord is in capital letters, L-O-R-D, capital letters, and God is in capital G, but small caps. But now in the Hebrew language, this indicates the Yahweh Adonai. But I like the NIV version where it says, The Sovereign Lord is my strength. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. Yes, folks, the Sovereign Lord is he's holy he's in control he's not some spectator sitting high above the heavens and unconcerned with the events down here on earth right because paul writes in romans he says in romans 8:28, and we know this verse very well he says and we know that god causes all things to work together for the good to those who love god to those who are called according to his purpose For Paul writes with such apostolic assurance. He doesn't say, well, I hope things work out in the end, right? He writes with such assurance. He expresses his sure knowledge in the divine providence of God. But he goes on to state in verses 29 to 31, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? You see, Paul knew that God is for us. This is what the doctrine of the providence of God is all about. God is for his people. Paul knew it. Habakkuk knew it, right? Habakkuk had this assurance that God is sovereign, that he's in control, that he's never changing. Unlike the statistics that we read out earlier, right? Habakkuk was assured that God would rescue his people from the Babylonians. And because he believed in the sovereignty of God, he gained much strength from it. But notice how he describes the strength, right? How does he describe it? He says, and he has made my feet like deer's feet and has me walk on my high places. Seems quite odd, doesn't it? You'd expect strength from maybe a lion or something greater or bigger, right? But he describes a deer. Seems odd, but... Habakkuk's thought of a deer running about the high hills, never losing a step, never failing or falling. And one commentator says it like this. He says, more than that, the deer positively dances and leaps on the hills. They are full of life and joy. With that in mind, the prophet proclaimed, God will also set my steps firmly and full of life. As I trust in him, he will not allow me to slip or to fall. And I will do more merely plodding along. I will skip about with life and with joy. But not only that, notice what Habakkuk says. He says to walk on high places. High places indicates an elevated position, right? A position of strength and of victory, And you see uh, on TV when winners receive their medals, what do they do? They go up onto a podium. They are elevated amongst their fellow participants, meaning they gain the victory. And in war, we know that an elevated position above your enemy is an advantageous, advantageous position, right? They are elevated, which means that they have confidence that they will have victory over their enemies that seek to overcome us, right? And especially when Satan comes, it means that when we are in an elevated position, it means that we are no longer enslaved by false gods that seek to destroy us. Like money, fame, sex, and power have no hold over us. So when we are in Christ, right, we are no longer enslaved to sin. That's why Paul could write so confidently in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says that God gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So before I can conclude my message today, there is one more application that I would like to consider. It's not obvious, and I feel that it is very relevant to our day and age. For we already see from the text that we are to wait patiently on the Lord, that we are to wait patiently and then to rejoice in the Lord and then to have confidence in him because we have the strength that he provides us. However, what I've learned from my studies in this very short few verses is that Habakkuk not only prays for himself and for his people, but his prayers are for his enemies. For he knows his enemies will be defeated. He knows that they too will be destroyed because he has assurance as God has revealed this to him as well. So remember, we are too to pray for our enemies as well. For Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to, to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore you shall be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. For you see, Jesus teaches us that God's love extends even to his enemies, that the universal love of God is manifest in the blessings that God bestows on all indiscriminately. This is the grace of God. So, in the final line of Habakkuk's prayer, we read to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. So we've already said that this section of passage was meant to be sung like a hymn. And in this passage of scripture, this is what inspired the hymn that was titled, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, which was written by William Cowper in 1773 from England. The poem that he wrote was, the light shining out of darkness. And this poem was the last hymn that Cowper wrote. And it was written following his attempted suicide while living in Buckinghamshire. So before we sing the song of response, let us go through this beautiful poem and listen to these wonderful words by William Cowper. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea. And rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. He, fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds he so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, But trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this text that we have read today, Lord. We want to thank you that we can be assured that you are the God who is almighty, all-powerful, Lord, who is sovereign and in control of all events, Lord. We pray that the knowledge that we gain from this, Lord, may penetrate our hearts today, Lord, So that we can go out into the world with confidence that no matter what happens, Lord, no matter what trials and tribulations or difficulties that we face, Lord, this coming week, Lord, we can rely that you are in control, Lord, that you are the God of all gods, Lord, that you are the King of kings, that you are the Lord of lords, and that you are the Prince of peace. And we ask this in your son's precious name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.